Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives. And in doing so, we have found there's a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by Jim McKelvey. If you're a business owner, an executive, or a rising member of a management team, I don't have to tell you about the importance of having team members and partners you can trust. A firm that I've worked with for years and have trusted myself to refer my colleagues to is Vividfront, an award-winning digital marketing, branding, and website development firm based in Cleveland, Ohio, but with clients all over America. Vividfront's focus is on scaling brands digitally. They create holistic return on investment centric strategies and solutions for middle market companies who want to grow. They do paid advertising, influencer and social media marketing, e-commerce strategies, lead generation websites. I could go on. Their expertise is expansive and their tactful leadership team, all of whom I know, has the entrepreneurial experience to turn ideas into revenue producing business plans. Yes, I am reading a script, but I will tell you that I sought Vividfront out for this podcast because I already believed in them seeing what they did in the marketplace. So if you're seeking a partner to take your business to the next level, or if you're looking for an opportunity to work for a top agency with an amazing culture, truly an amazing culture, check out their website at vividfront.com or send me a note and I'll introduce you to my friends who run the company there. Vividfront, great organization. Our guest today is an artist, an entrepreneur, an author, a venture capitalist, and a public servant. I list artist first because it was his time as an artist that helped crystallize one of his first big ideas. Hanging out with other glass blowers and artists, our guest watched as the artists themselves would lose sales because they couldn't accept customers' credit cards. Solving for that marketplace problem, today's guest co-founded Square, a company that went public seven years ago, used by millions and millions of people. This card reader, somewhat ironically given the founder's background as an artist, was inducted recently into the Museum of Modern Art. That's rather cool. Usually business items aren't inducted into museums. Random House published his awesome book, The Innovation Stack, and I never show books, but this book made me laugh out loud. I learned so much from it, and I actually have referred it to many people. He's an independent director of the Federal Reserve Bank in St. Louis. He's a founder of Launch Code, a nonprofit that trains people to work in technology, and a founder of Third Degree Glass Factory, a publicly accessible glass art studio. Currently, one of our guest's primary projects is a venture-backed company called Invisibly. It's a really big idea. We're going to talk about it. It's a microfinance platform allowing, these are my words, participants to exchange their user data to access online content currently only available through subscription. Often we see those paywalls getting in the way of our reading things. He's a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis where, full disclosure, my daughter graduated from the School of Engineering bearing his name. 
Last year, Forbes magazine estimated his net worth at $4 billion, which I note here because he remains remarkably humble in spite of this notable financial success. And he's so self-deprecating, too. Jim McKelvey, welcome to Up To. Adam, thank you. And um, I think I will now list public servant on the government forms that I have to fill out because you know I have to you know, occupation. I'm nobody's ever put public servant on the list before, but I guess that's because I'm on the Fed. Um, <laughs> that's that awesome. Is, yeah, you are a public <laughs> servant. You might that, as well that, lean into it. That'll that'll get some funny looks at at customs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> well, what have you been up to? Oh my God. Um, uh, trying to build stuff. Uh, trying to make things that I don't know how to make and working with teams of people who are equally confused, but also pretty creative. So it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And speaking of a lot of fun, I think you have a state of the art uh, computer studio. Is that the setting we're in there? Is that a big, <laughs> is that a big uh, computer yes. stack there behind me? It's, or is that an unmade bunk bed perhaps? Well, it, it is both a high tech Man Manhattan recording studio <laughs> and <laughs> my kid's bedroom. Mm. Um, he, he, uh, he has the best mic and headphones cause he plays games yes. and I know you like to do interviews in person as do I, like, I hate this remote stuff. Um, but it just wasn't working out with our schedules. So right. I, um, took over the kid's bedroom and that is a bunk bed in the background. Awesome. Yes. And I shouldn't pan the room cause there's probably, yeah, you know, yeah. socks. And Your kids are getting mortified as you even, uh, consider doing that. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 thanks. Thanks for doing this. Let's jump into it. So your current business invisibly is a really big idea. So what is that company that it's one of those nebulous words in the name, uh, kind of like square, but even less indicative of what invisibly is. So what is invisibly? So invisibly is a way for people to take back control of their attention. And I know that sounds really abstract, but if you think about it, what's happening online most of the time is your attention is being directed by algorithms and you are being sort of used as the product so if something is free you are pay basically paying for it with your time and that time i believe should be under your control as opposed to some platform because the platforms don't have an economic interest to serve you they have an economic interest to serve themselves and so it leads to a bunch of bad stuff so as an economist i I mean, sort of modeled out what a solution to this would look like. And the answer is to put people back in control. And the problem with that is that we're talking about tiny, tiny transactions. Like, do you read an article? Do you watch a video? Do you do, you do some little activity that, you know, may have a market value of two cents or three cents or half a cent, you know? Uh, do, you, do you glance at an ad that, that should be worth half a cent or 20 cents if you actually read it? You know, but these amounts are all below the threshold where people care. Mm. So the reason the company's called Invisibly is because the first insight that, that we had is that all of this activity has to happen invisibly. In other words, yes, there has to be a market. You have, yes, you have to get paid for viewing ads and yes, you pay for consuming content, but all that has to happen uh, sort of like you're a really rich person and you have a staff that just mm -hmm. buys all the stuff you need and stocks your fridge and cleans up after you, but you don't have to worry about it. You just kind of don't care. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what invisibly does. We invisibly take care of your access to 
eventually whatever you want. Like right now we're rolling out a, a product with, you know, sort of fantastic access to news and journalism. So, um, so it's in the marketplace now. People can download the app and use it or not uh, quite yet. Uh, they can, but it's terrible uh, right now because we haven't <laughs> I'm sure hooked your up. your team would uh, love hearing that. Well, uh, the Wall Street Journal just joined. So oh, I've been pay I've been paywalled out of the Wall Street Journal off and on for years, even though I subscribe, <laughs> you know, I'm a subscriber. But then, you know, every once in a while I have to get an article and I can't get it. Um, and uh, we are going to uh, help people get access to uh, articles like that and, and, and dozens of other, you know, sort of premium publishers um, for whom you have to pay. It's not that the stuff's free. It's just that the payment experience is so lightweight that hopefully you won't even notice it. So is and, the payment actually going to be uh, pennies from the reader, or is it going to be our behavior uh, ticking up our credit? Uh, it's it's actually both. So it is actually pennies that are going from you to them okay. um, in a way that if you care, we'll show you. But if you don't care, we'll just hide it from you because there's no right. point in bothering you with a two cent transaction. Um, but if you care, I mean, sure. Um, but then the question is, is your media free? And if your answer is, well, I want my media to be free, then what I say is, okay, Adam, um, I have people that will pay you for your attention. So we're gonna make free happen like this. You're gonna see an ad for free, okay? Mm -hmm. in, in, in actuality, it's not free. In actuality, you're being paid to watch that ad. And that goes into a little wallet that you have, Yes. Um, if you care. Uh, and then, from that wallet, when you want to buy something, assuming there's a balance, you just get it okay. and we debit the wallet. So it's, um, I mean, it's just like your bank account. It's, and it's the economic incentive that brings back quality because here's the thing, people think, oh, I want everything for free and I, I want to buy the cheapest media or, or whatever. You don't want the free cheap stuff in your life. Like, I, I don't know if you have a car, but if you do, my guess is you didn't buy the cheapest car on the market. <laughs> I don't know you very well, but like my guess is if you have a car, you're probably not, you know, right. rocking the, you know, the sort of the crappiest Kia that you could get, you know. Well, um, I'll be honest with you. I, I turned 50 and I had a midlife crisis moment. And, you know, a lot of people turn 50 and what do they usually buy? Oh, car, sports yeah, car, like a red. cool red sports car, right. I yeah. went the opposite route, Jim. I got a black Dodge Ram pickup. I needed to feel more manly, and so I bought this truck. I don't know how to do anything. I don't have any tools, but just sharing with you that I didn't go the sports car route. Once you have a truck, you're the most popular guy in the neighborhood. So that's true. That's, and in the family, fantastic. all the errands. Right? Yes, um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, you get it. Look, here's the point: free is not what we want. Cheap is not what we want. What we want is a market where we get to pay more for stuff we like and less for stuff we don't like, because that gives a signal to the creators of, in the economy to build big black trucks. You yeah, know, like right. you, what you did when you bought a big black truck is you said, hey, here's a $60,000 vote for a big black truck. Okay. <laughs> and those are $60,000 votes that are tabulated by the economy and the economy, you know, the people at Ford make big black trucks because they say, oh, I see the votes coming in, in the forms of dollars. Right. right. And if you weren't willing to pay that, that's, that's tabulated as well. So think about this in terms of your media. Like how many times have you read something and you think, my God, that's fantastic. I wish I could get more like that. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, well, how do you signal that it's fantastic and that you want more? 
There's no way right now. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could watch the ads really intently, but that doesn't that doesn't pass a direct signal. In in the invisibly system, what's actually happening is economic signaling. Economic so I look, and, and I don't, I, and we're way down the rabbit hole of what yeah. people. Well, I like I don't like care that you brought about. up the I like that you brought up the Wall Street Journal because I was actually going to ask about that because that's like the longest subscription I've had. Maybe I've had it 30 years, and I now have a digital oh, yeah. in addition to print. So I don't have the paywall there, but for instance, and just to help others understand it. So for instance, if I read something I don't subscribe to, somebody sends me a link to like The Atlantic, that paywall yeah. goes up right away. So these big uh, media brands, is that part of your challenge is to convince them to participate in the Invisibly platform, the economics of uh, this new platform? Or is that easy for it's them to agree to do that? It's actually to reconvince them. Um, what happened five years ago, a bunch of these brands recruited me to build this system for them. So I was actually oh. solicited by Hearst and McClatchy and the the, the, the the Associated Press. Like I was brought to them. Oh, as so the this industry wanted potential. this, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I tried to hmm. build it and I screwed it up. I mean, <laughs> bottom line is I spent $30 million, uh, five years, a bunch of, you know, thousands of hours of people's time and we built something that didn't work. Um, but we learned why it didn't work. So the reason it's called invisibly partially is because we thought, oh, people will care and they want to see all this stuff. And the answer is no, mm -hmm. they don't. And so we just made a bunch of mistakes and are still making mistakes. But um, hmm. come about December 1st, I think if you download the invisibly app, you are going to be blissful. December 1st. Because, okay. yeah, that is, I'm, I'm trying to make it a you know holiday present to the world, which is access to the stuff you want in an effortless fashion that doesn't bug you or or exploit you. Well, I'll be honest, um, I'm going to put look, that we, in our newsletter. I'll put the December 1st app in our newsletter because uh, we're not the world, but you know, we have thousands of people reading that. So oh my I mean, God. yeah, good way to, to, Thank to you. uptick that. Now let's let's go back to your prior large company. Because I'm seeing a theme here as you explain invisibly. This is a massive idea that presumably with success, millions of humans' behavior will be affected. The same can be said about Square. So how yeah. did you come up with the Square idea? Like, do you, do you always have these big ideas or do we only hear about the big ideas? I'm always interested in people's creativity process. I'm a small idea guy. I'm well, a personal This is your humility guy. coming out. Okay. No, 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 no. Look, I mean, how did Square happen? Square happened because I was in my glass studio trying to sell a piece of glass that was frankly hideous. And I had this buyer on the line who wanted to pay $2,000 for this thing. And I couldn't close the sale because she only had an Amex card. Now, during that time, the, the, I coincidentally- The picture's in your book, right? This is in your book, the yes. photograph. <laughs> yeah. that you're calling a hideous, like a necktie thing, scarf. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it was a, it's actually a drinking faucet. Like it's, it's, okay. a, it's a bathroom faucet. It, uh, it's, it's even more ridiculous than, than you'd see at first glance. But the, the idea is, uh, Jack Dorsey, who uh, was a friend and actually former colleague, like Jack used to work for me at a company that I still have. Um, and uh, Jack had just been kicked out of Twitter for the first time and was, you know, sort of casting around for stuff to do. And he was like, hey, Jim, you want to start a company with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. So Jack and I had already started a company. We just didn't know what we were going to do. It was mm -hmm. sort of like, let's get the band back together and then we'll write some songs. Right, right. Uh, and so we were, you know, tuning up the instruments and I lost this sale. And that problem to me 
was annoying enough that what I said to Jack was like, we need to fix this for me. Because at the time, I didn't know there were millions of potential users. I didn't know that Square was going to become, you know, this sort of international thing and change its name to Block and all, all this, you know, all the stuff that's happened. So you weren't trying there to was like no, change the world with this new idea. No, there was no grand like vision. That. No, I, well, look, I mean, I think it's kind of arrogant to have this worldview when you have no world platform. Right. Um, and, and the thing that I discovered, and, and this was sort of critical to the book um, being written, was that I was thinking of entrepreneurship backwards. Like the way I'd been taught was the grand vision. Like that was my, like, you know, sort of two big lies was grand vision, you know, um, and grand visionary, mm. which is that the leader of this company is somehow this individual with, you know, heroic ability to go without sleep or they're smarter right. than you or they're, I don't know, whatever. They, they've got the something. Mm -hmm. Oh God. Yeah. Look at, I sleep under my desk, you know? Um, so I think I had this perception for years that I was not that sort of person because I can't go without sleep and well, I'm not that much of a visionary. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, you know, I, I don't know what that qualifies me to do except maybe wait tables. Um, but I don't have any of those sort of heroic qualities. So if you think of entrepreneurs as heroes, then I'm not a hero, therefore mm. I shouldn't try that. Um, what I discovered, and not, not just for myself and the Square story, but dozens of other stories I found fit this pattern of, you know, it's pretty normal folks in situations where for one reason or another, they couldn't then copy somebody else's solution. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't mm -hmm. just do what everybody else is doing. And they were forced to invent. They were forced to be innovators. And, and when successful, that innovation looked so radically different from what everyone else was building that they ended up with markets to themselves. So if you look at the companies that I study in the book, these are world-changing companies that were all started by people who were not visionary bold. Well, one guy was pretty right. bold, but I mean, like most people were just sort of normal guys in abnormal situations. Yeah, and not, I thought, not, wow, the, that's, not the that's hero, not the hero, no. sorry, uh, character traits that you're talking about. I'm jumping ahead to something I planned on talking about because you just mentioned it, the humility piece. You know, this whole show, the theme is leaders who are as humble as they are successful. That's the whole theme of this program. We've had, you know, generals on who are humble. We've had NFL quarterbacks humble, surgeons who are humble. I feel like, and it looks like you agree from what I read, that humility is a really underappreciated aspect of being a good leader. In my opinion, humility and being a consensus builder are the two most important aspects of being a leader. Uh, how would you react to, to, to those observations of mine? It's less about the hero qualities, but it's more about the humility and the consensus building. Oh, yeah, I think. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I sort of give a section in the book to humility and why it's a critical trait, I think, in leaders. I mean, look, the, there are certain circumstances where boldness is rewarded. Um, but thinking you're right all the time leads to really toxic behavior mm -hmm. over the long, over the long game, because you don't get feedback from the world. And I've seen this, honestly, I've seen this in a lot of my friends who've gotten very wealthy. Um, and when you get wealthy, people treat you weird, which is to say they laugh at all your jokes. They think you're really funny and you right. just got taller and smarter, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, um, and, and that 
leads to this sort of lack of feedback. And then yeah, you, you don't open, get- You need to show that you're open to the feedback. Yeah, and, and, and this is the funny thing. You have to sort of be almost actively open to it because if you just sit there and say, well, I'm open, tell me anything, your people won't. Um, and I discovered this years ago. I mean, way, way before the business success, uh, I was trying to sell glass, you know, glass art, and I would make pieces and I would ask my friends, well, what do you think of this thing? And they would always give me this answer that was positive, you know, oh, it's gorgeous, or I really like this part of it. Or like, and I was like, yeah, yeah, but what do you not like about it? Like, what can mm -hmm. I change about it? And I could never get that feedback. Because you want to improve. So, yeah, but if you ask somebody, they will always give you the nice answer. Um, and I found that the only way I could actually get the answer that I needed was to try to sell the stuff without me there. So I would, you know, go to a gallery, I'd price two pieces, you know, the blue piece would sell, the green piece wouldn't. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, there's something wrong with the color green. You know, people hate green, you know. The marketplace and, and was so, giving you the feedback, yeah. Yeah, and at least it's it's imperfect, but it's honest. And and look, without humility, you so skew the feedback that you get that it's almost impossible to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. And if you look mm -hmm. at somebody, you look at some famous person who's really like messed up. Okay, they're just they're just acting nuts, okay? And I can think of God, about 20 examples and I won't use right, any right, names because right, it'll right. get me sued, but like like we all know them, right? And you mm -hmm. say, "What in the hell is this person thinking?" The answer is in that person's world, everything they do is perfect because yeah. they're surrounded by this sycophantic chorus of right. people who who just say great idea boss mm -hmm. and and that that's no way to live it's certainly no, no. way to decide and right no and way there's no way to improve because if they're not going to give you that constructive feedback how are you going to know what to improve on this is why golfers who are pros still take golf lessons um, i've had friends who've worked for public officials, uh, even in b White Houses from both parties, and very few people will tell the president, you gave a bad speech, you know, because they all want to oh, yeah. be in good graces with, with the top person. And that's true in the CEO boardroom as well. You know, how many, that's why we have independent board members now. Like, how often are we really going to challenge the head honcho? Because we're human beings. We want to be in good graces with the head honcho. Right. You can get kicked out. Like, I, I got, I almost got myself kicked off the Fed. I think twice, you know, <laughs> I mean, because you were like speaking your mind or being candid or. Well, I, I, the first time I was sure that what I was going to say was going to get me booted um, oh because gosh. it was pretty inflammatory. And then but they turned out to be really open minded and cool about it. And I was like, oh, my God, the, the, the Federal Reserve, I can't say enough good stuff about uh, the way our central bank is is structured. Now, look, have we made mistakes? Sure. Are we fixing that's, them? Yeah, we're trying to, to hear you say that. But, you know, not often do we hear people's insider view on on that type of thing. But I'm glad to hear you say that there's some good people involved there. You know, we only see CNBC headlines once in a while. That's it. it it's not only good people. It's a good system. It's a mm. good tradition. I like having an independent central bank, having a central bank that is not controlled by the politicians is critical because believe me, if you gave control of the Federal Reserve and the money supply to Congress, they would vote for stimulus every time there was an election and right, we would be right. drowning like Zimbabwe. Like it would it would go down so fast. You could sink this ship with political control 
when you're going bank, to as we've first, seen with other central banks when, when you're going to your first central bank fed meeting are you ever like thinking about what what am i doing here how did i get into this situation I, i'm blowing art in uh st louis yeah. trying to figure out if blue is better than green how did i get here uh my attitude is just shut up and try not to embarrass yourself for the first two meetings <laughs> like i was just like shut up and learn shut up and right. learn shut up right. like, what's the laffer curve what's the phillips curve you know, what is GDI? I didn't know what GDI was. A lot of acronyms. It's gross domestic income, if anyone cares. But mm. like, who, like, I wasn't prepared for this. Mm -hmm. I thought, I thought, I honestly thought they were joking when they asked me to join the Fed. Like, I thought it was somebody pulling my leg. What what an honor, though. Uh, you know, I, it, something called imposter syndrome, and, and you're humble. And I, I have a sense you probably felt like, I'm not supposed to be in here. But they keep inviting me back, and that's wonderful. So, like you said, you listen for a while. You you pick and choose when you speak up, and I'm I'm sure you're earning your keep now. So that's the country's better having a, a businessman in there, not just solely you know ivory tower economists. So thanks for doing it, by the way. Well, I uh, I told a joke in front of uh, Jay Powell last week, and it totally fell flat. <laughs> I was I was so I, I had this I had this economic readout, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna make them laugh, and I. Told it, and it <laughs> my setup was wrong. Okay, let's flat steer away from the Fed here. We don't want we don't want to change yeah. the markets. <laughs> uh, at, at today's recording, the markets are up right now. So let's let's move on if we could to a different topic. Uh, again, it's uh, near and dear to my heart because my daughter went to uh, Washington University. But is it true that you like wrote a textbook as a freshman because you thought the assigned computer science textbook wasn't? up to par with what was needed. Did you really write a textbook when you were a freshman? Yes, uh, I was a freshman. I wasn't even a engineering student at the time. I was an economic student. And the textbook that I had, which was required to purchase, like the, the professor wrote the thing right. and it was garbage and he made everyone buy it. And it was mm. so bad. Like this was laughably bad. Like it was, this was, there's like, there was no argument that this was a terrible thing, but we had to pay for it. And I was offended at that. And I, sort of offhand remark to my roommate that I could write a better thing than this piece of garbage. And my roommate was like, well, why don't you? Wow. I was like, okay, I will. So I wrote a textbook and then it got published. And this was, this was before the days you could self-publish. Like I actually had to talk a publishing house into doing it. And then the publishing house. Um, so my father and I have the same name. Mm. So they thought it was my father who's got this sort of long list of academic credentials uh they thought it was dad who was mm -hmm. you know writing mm -hmm. these things and they said well professor mckelvey you you know we'd like to have you write another book and, you didn't and they bother called my dad's them? office you didn't bother correct well my them. father <laughs> they call, i didn't have a phone right <laughs> my they called my father's office and 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 my dad who's pretty cool he was like i think you have the wrong professor mckelvey mm. and so he you know called me into his office he blew he your like, cover jimmy you better you better talk to this publishing house and straighten mm. them out. Um, but yeah, but see, I wrote write, a couple of textbooks yeah, when I was so a freshman. Write, so writing when you're a freshman, that reminds me of something else you said. I never thought about this because I really try to study humility. You said humility and hubris are allies. So it, oh, took, yeah. some, it took some hubris to decide I'm going to write a textbook. You know, there's, there's like probably like 1,000 other things most freshmen care about their freshman year, but you had the hubris to say, I'm gonna write a better computer science textbook. But I never thought about them being allies before. That's a good word, ally. They're not synonyms, but they're allies. 
Well, it's it's one of these things you have to go from one mode quickly into the other. So you there's a spark of hubris at the beginning. There's a, this spark of I can do it. This mm -hmm. needs to be fixed. And in, in, my, in many cases, it's, it, it, in me, it's sort of an angry flash. I see something that I think is wrong. And I'm like, why isn't this possible? Or why can't I? Or, you know, or some, you know, and, and that's usually this arrogant moment of feeling that this needs to change and I'm capable of changing it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then from that moment, I think you then enter this long period where you better be really humble where you better take input from the world and learn as much as you can. And first of mm -hmm. all, see if somebody else has solved that problem because like you think you're so unique, you precious little snowflake, but I mean, there are <laughs> billions of others like you and they may have figured it out before you. So maybe all you have to do is watch a YouTube video and problem solved, you know? Right. But um, take in that information and, and learn from your environment, but then be willing. And this is the thing about my book that I, you know, the whole reason I wrote the thing was that, I think if you spend your whole life in a completely humble state, you will not step across the line and do things that have been, that, I'm sorry, that have not been done by right, humanity. Right. So, 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 so think of your whole life, most of the time you're doing stuff that is not original, right? So I'm gonna have dinner tonight, you know what? I don't want to do anything original. I don't want to be the first person in history to eat some plant this mm. evening. Like if my wife comes home and says, look what I found, you know, growing in the park, I figured I'd cut it up and, and feed it to you as a salad. And, and maybe it'll be great or maybe it'll kill you. Let's find out, right? right. If that's her sort of moment, I don't want that salad. I, I'm not going to eat the <laughs> whatever bush that happened to be growing wild. Yet you um, are a risk taker. You are a risk well, taker. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you got your kids mitigator. bunk bed right behind you. That's a taking a risk. Look at look at this shot. It's just I, I can't get used to the, how tremendous this shot is. I look terrible. Um, no. <laughs> no, that's that's great. low. That's just that's just no. But you, not you, caring, you take I guess. you do take risk. I'm being silly. I think that um, you know a lot of these leaders that give speeches they in Davos. You know, don't be afraid to fail. Take risks. Oh God. You know, and, and out, in Silicon, out in Silicon Valley, you know, risk is uh, a badge of honor, and you know, failure is a badge of honor. So I think the hubris piece it is required. I mean, you took a risk, I'm going to write a textbook or I'm going to start a company that allows people to buy their art with their phone in the credit card. So you are a risk taker. Um, I, I took a risk in doing a podcast five seasons ago. I didn't know anything about podcasts, but uh, I still think you're right. The humility balance is important because otherwise you're just doing whatever you want all day and throw caution to the wind. And I think that's that's not not the right way to go either. So, so I'll save all your listeners 300 pages of reading mm. and just give you the moment that I was writing the whole book for, okay? okay? And that is your entire life, you've been taught to copy. And you've been taught this in various, they don't say, we're going to teach you to copy, Adam. But what they do is say, we're going to teach you to become qualified. That's a word. You know, we're going to, you know, educate you. you, you you're going to become an expert. You're going to have, you know, whatever credentials are needed before you do this thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you are a credential uh, craving machine. You wanna be qualified before you do the thing for the first time, you know? Yeah. 
And, and that's a great way to be for almost every problem you're encounter, you'll encounter, except for the moment when you find yourself at the edge of what humanity knows how to do. And then you're gonna look across that abyss and you say, I don't know how to do this. And, and because of your training, you'll, you'll hesitate at that moment. You'll say, I, therefore, I'm gonna wait until I'm qualified. Here's the message. Nobody in human history has ever been qualified to do the thing the first time. Right. Right. Who, whoever the first person who ate asparagus, which is this weird looking thing. that I, I, Who knows that wasn't getting that guy wasn't qualified. Whoever ate it for the first time didn't die. He was not qualified or maybe she wasn't qualified. That's that moment where you will in your life have to decide, do I step across this line and do something that I'm not qualified to do and that humanity hasn't done yet, but in fact, may advance the world if i that's if I where do the it. entrepreneurship begins right in that moment that's when that you moment. decide that's, that's the when moment. you become that's the, the entrepreneur moment. yeah do you think and that's where the hubris can be is. taught like i i ask people often because every school now teaches entrepreneurship not just colleges every high school teaches entrepreneurship i don't think it can be taught i think there are innate skills one has or character traits one has and definitely feel free to challenge my view on this but i feel like one is either born an entrepreneur or not you can learn how to be a better businessman businesswoman but i don't know what's your view on that there's there's no wrong answer i guess but how do you think about that so i think about and let me let me add one who, thing if i could because like i go on linkedin profiles and i'll see someone who says they're very entrepreneurial and then i look and see that they've worked for like four different banks over 19 years <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's fine. Yeah. We need bankers. But that, that's not an entrepreneur. That's not like you just said, that's not going where no human has gone before and trying something, eating that asparagus for the first time. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like too trendy of a word now. It's too, it used to. Yeah, so, so, so the word has lost its meaning or changed its meaning over the last hundred years. So when I started to write the book, I needed this word to describe the sort of humans that we were discussing. And there wasn't a word in English for somebody who was doing something new. The word entrepreneur used to mean that, but it now means somebody who starts a business. So if I start a bank or an accounting firm or, you know, a, a, a gaming company, like I'm called an entrepreneur. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. cool. I'm glad you're opening a bank, but that would not have qualified you to be called an entrepreneur a hundred years ago. You would be called a business person. I'm opening yes. a business. So, right. but the problem is, with with the overuse of the word entrepreneur, we now have no way to even describe the sort of person that I'm talking about, which is somebody who has to build something that doesn't exist mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and doesn't exist before. And they have no trade show they can go to. They have no they yeah. have no reference. And and that's a different skill set. And that's the thing that people don't realize because we have popularized entrepreneurship so much and because they're trying to teach it in business schools and you've taken the class and I got an right, A. Right, I got right, an A right. in you know, business entrepreneurship from a Ivy League institution or from, you know, the best high school in New Jersey or St. Louis or whatever. Yeah. Right. That qualifies you to start a business. It I've seen those courses. I mean, I've lectured at those courses and I've mm -hmm, mocked mm -hmm, those mm -hmm. courses because mm -hmm. they're not teaching the skill of doing something new because you can't. Like there's no way I can teach you how to do something that hasn't been done before. I can prepare you a little bit right. for the journey, um, but I can't teach you the skills.
I'm grateful that Calfee, Halter, and Griswold has once again agreed to partner with us. With offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on all aspects of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We just don't accept marketing dollars from anyone. I have been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I really believe in the firm. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. And recently, for instance, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee when he told me that a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfee works with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S. and Canada and in Europe and Asia, too. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. Something else not being taught very much at business schools, or I think at schools in general, is relationships. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I remember I the, reading that you felt bad that you never had a business mentor growing up. And how mentors in art are important and they are in business too. I've learned so much from my mentors. But Jim, I was um, at the Entrepreneurship Center at uh, Oberlin College. I was asked to uh, talk one day and they wanted me to talk about private equity. And I said to the director, that's such a boring topic. I mean, they could read ad nauseum online about private equity, I'd rather talk about relationship equity. And she looked at me like, what is that relationship equity? Well, that's cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she had never heard of it. Well, of course she had heard of the words, but so I, I took a risk and I, I did this uh, one hour session, not knowing what the sharp Arbulin students would think, but they really liked it because they told me afterwards, no one's teaching these skills about how to shake a hand rather than follow up with like an email or how to um, follow through on everything you say you're gonna do and never promise to do something you're not gonna do. Like the basic relation or doing unto others as you want done to you. We talked about the most basic things, but I don't think those things are talked about. I'm kind of uh, meandering a little bit here in this conversation, but how do you think about relationships in this digital age? Um, you are a digital, entrepreneur, if I dare use that word, you are one. Uh, how do you think about relationships? I'm worried because I have a couple of kids that things are too easy for them. You know, like my son, when he starts dating is going to swipe right, as opposed to have to physically walk up to somebody and introduce right. himself. Mm. Um, there will be pre-qualification on both sides and probably, you know, some, um, some other things that, that, prevent him Filters. from putting himself. Yeah. yeah well, th th they remove risk from the situation and who wouldn't want to, you know, save that off awkward moment of rejection. Mm -hmm. uh, who mm -hmm. wouldn't want to, uh, sort of pre-qualify everything. Um, the issue with that is that it severely limits the magic that happens through chance. Like if you are ready, if you are able, uh, with your relationship skills to seize the moment and mm -hmm. then there th then you're i i think you're more alive like i just love this idea of not knowing if it's going to work or not 
And then when it works, the payoff is a hundred times better. Yes. Like, I, and, and I, 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 I would not, I would not want to steal that from a generation of kids. So I'm, I'm a little worried. Um, but hopefully they'll have their own, you know, sort of, uh, process. Look, a, a, yeah. Every generation adapts. So mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not mm -hmm. sort of preaching that they need to, you know, grow up in the eighties again. Um, but I do believe that kids today have it almost too easy relationship wise, um, because it's been abstracted. Speaking of kids, do you think about maybe who's following you? I mean, you, you lent your name to the engineering school at WashU. Do you think about maybe who you're mentoring even distant in a distant way, not direct mentoring one-on-one? -on -one? Do you ever think about your own uh, unintended consequences of your success and how people are watching how you behave and how you build companies? Uh, I, yes, a little bit, although I quit social media officially this week like mm. done officially Off. i didn't get the press release but that's good well i mean because i don't i don't i would have put it out on twitter and i was you, like you ah, tweet it right account. ironically no i didn't i just i just dumped i actually so a uh, full thing i wasn't really using social media and then i wrote this book and then the publisher was like well you have to do social media to promote a book and i was like uh, uh yeah know, so um you know i asked jack to give me some followers on twitter and you know like his, <laughs> his favorite bots you know, like, yeah. give, give me all that traffic His you guys are denying. <laughs> but I like on your web page of, of, of your name web page, uh, your personal web page, excuse me for interrupting, but it's funny how you say, I'm not going to be posting pictures of what I ate. You don't need to see what I'm having for dinner. It's kind of like a, a critique of social media. Well, I don't think I am that interesting. And <laughs> if people do, I'm sorry. But if you've been following me for last year, and I fully admit this and have throughout the whole time, that's never been me. I've never been on social media. I hired a team of 26 year old females to tweet on my behalf. Mm. And the stuff that they were putting out there was so inane that I, at some point it just got too embarrassing. Like I don't use the phrase, my happy place. It's just not my thing. Like I'm not, you know, this is my happy place. You know, I'm, not, right. I'm saying, um, you know, uh, hashtag blessed. I, I'm, I'm just not that guy. Right. And, and so the, the discord got so, uh, pronounced that, you know, so like I was trying to support Jack and Twitter while he was running Twitter and then Elon kicked him out and I was like, I'm out, you know, mm, so yeah, cool. You know, to, I've got no excuse. Like, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm abandoning my buddy. Right. Um, and, and, you know, Kevin, a uh, sister who started Instagram, he's also a friend and I've told him, look, I, I like you, but I'll never use your product. And I've mm. literally never been on Instagram. I've never even but seen hopefully it. they use your product as it rolls out December 1st. Yes. God. So hypocritical, but on a serious yeah. note, like do, do you do you do any mentoring now? Because you, you you're very clear that you felt like you lacked business mentors, or does that not matter I, to you at this point? I do, but it's it's a weird, uh, it, it's a weird relationship. I've had a couple of companies come to me and ask me to help them put their products together, hmm. and I've I've helped a few of them. Um, and I love doing it. The problem is uh, most of these, most people who call themselves entrepreneurs have a product idea that I find incredibly derivative and boring. And mm. so I'm not the guy you want to talk to because I will just criticize you from, for doing what everybody else is doing. Mm. But if I, I can think of two companies now that had unique products that brought them to me and they were like, well, we don't know how to do this. I was like, you've got a great thing, you know? So if I can find somebody like that, but I don't want 50 people e emailing me 
saying, right. hey, Jim, I heard you on up to, could you mentor me? Because what they're, and the reason I won't take solicitations like that is that most of those people don't really want my advice. They want my money. They want me mm. to just like angel back them, invest in their first round or there's some there's that, you know, it's like, oh, they, they, they just want to talk to my wallet and, yes. and I, my wallet's busy. Yeah. Like my wallet <laughs> right, is way right. more important than I am. And it has its own schedule how, and it how, keeps, how, how do, it how doesn't do even live with me. Right. <laughs> how, how do you decide what to get involved in, whether it's your time or your dollars or your thought leadership? Because I'm sure you're peppered with so many different opportunities. I like knowing, learning how people decide what to get involved in. Do you have, do you have like a personal mission that you only follow that discipline or how do you, how do you, how do you filter your own opportunities? Not well. I mean, literally mm. my wife and I had a conversation about this last night and she's like, you say yes to everything. It sucks. You're always doing stuff. And, and it's, you, you hang out with these people who are losers. And I mean, yeah. And the thing is, she was totally right. Well, hopefully like, she I wasn't got, talking about today's podcast at 1130. No, she didn't know about this, but you know, like, right, I mean, I, I didn't tell her I was doing it either. You know, okay, I mean, yeah. just, <laughs> full uh -huh. disclosure. It's like, I don't know. Right. no, right. I mean, but the point is, this is good. Cause I, by, by the way, Adam, I love how you prepared for your project. I love how you thought about it. We had a prep call. You do work. You create a product, you craft. You, I mean, that's the stuff that I like. I mean, I respect people who craft what they're, what they're doing. Thank you. Um, but most people don't like most people just go straight. Well, let's just roll the cameras and see what happens. And like, Oh right. God. Um, I think, I, I have this problem of saying yes to way too much stuff. But mm. if I would if if I would like to tell you the answer that I wish I could honestly give, what I probably should do and have not yet learned how to do it yet mm -hmm. is to say no to almost everything until I find something that is personally motivating. And to be really honest about what motivates me, which which is weird and sometimes perverse and sometimes it's like bad. Um, but if that's what gets me out of bed, like if I, and I'm not saying I'm this person, but like if I got out of bed driven by nothing but hate and spite and sort of this raft of negative emotions, but it got me going. Okay, cool. Mm. I'm, I'm good with that. You know, right, um, right. that, that to me is better than, than trying to th think that I should be doing something. Well, I should care about, you know, uh, animal cruelty, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry. I don't like. I do, but I don't enough to do anything about it. Like that's but the I thing. But I like how self-reflective you're being though. I mean, you're being honest about you need to be better at something in this case, filtering what you focus your time on. A lot of people don't even look in the mirror, but you're admitting that you need to do better at this. It's a, it's a great shortcoming. I mean, and, and I, if I'm going to be honest, like there's a lot of stuff like I care about the environment, but I don't care so much about the environment that I've stopped traveling by air, right. you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I've not care about the environment so much that I've stopped using all plastics. You know, mm -hmm. I haven't, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm hypocritical in a hundred ways, so I should just sort of shut up and no, no. Yeah. Well, we're, <laughs> don't we're, give it, we're... don't take advice from the guy in his kid's bedroom, mm. you know? Well, <laughs> what you've, you've shared that you're going to be launching on December 1st. Uh, let's think beyond that a little bit, maybe into next year or into the next couple of years. Like what, what's really exciting you right now? What do you, as, as we, uh, wrap up today's conversation, I can't believe how fast the time goes, but what do you, what are you looking forward to in the future down the road? And 
definitely doesn't have to be solely work oriented. Like, what are you excited about right now? So my two big work projects right now, Invisibly, is I think it'll be a game changer for people. I think it's it's magical to, one, have access to the stuff you want, but two, have choice about what you want. Because if you think about the news feed, you, you don't want a feed. You want a menu. Like, we mm. feed cattle in the Midwest. Where I'm from, if you're on a feedlot, that means you're a you know <laughs> cow about to be slaughtered and we're shoving as much uh, right. you know grain into you as we possibly can. Um, but... I don't want people to be fed. I want people to choose. And that's what invisibly hopefully will do. So, mm -hmm, you know, give us a couple mm -hmm. months, uh, give us a month to put it together and then give it a shot. You know, um, the other thing that I'm super excited about personally is uh, I'm trying to build an eco-friendly diaper, which I think the world desperately needs. And I think mm. the tech is there, but it's very hard engineering to put it together and make it work. So I'm, you know, running diaper experiments right now. So those are, those are sort of my two work things. Um, and then on the other end of it, I'm sort of deeply involved uh, at the Federal Reserve right now because I think we're in a critical time and the world needs a great central bank and uh, diversity of opinion, which I provide some of. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sort of psyched about that. Uh, aside from that, you know, got a couple of kids in school. I help them with homework and... Uh, you know, try to show up at the at, at the football games. Well, I love that you're giving diversity of opinion. I think that's lacking in almost every room in America, boardrooms, classrooms, um, academic rooms. I, I love that you aren't just falling into yet another echo chamber of thought and agreement. So please, uh, you know, keep keep giving your your candid opinions in whatever room you're in. I agree with you 100 percent. <laughs> that's the one time. Yeah, if you're agreeing with me, that's when the okay, echo chamber's allowed. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, <laughs> well Jim, I'm so grateful that you did this. I, I have to uh, disclose something. This is uh, the first time I've accepted a recommendation from a friend of mine or a listener to bring a guest onto the show. And in five seasons, I've had all types of ideas from people. I should listen, or I should interview this person or that person. And almost every time the successful person being recommended was not humble. And so that was always my first filter because our show's theme of leaders who are as humble as they are successful. So once our mutual acquaintance recommended you to me, I didn't know you at all, just knew you from afar, from the McKelvey School, I watched some YouTube clips, I read some excerpts from your book, and I saw so quickly how humble you truly are. You are truly humble. Sometimes I would actually even approach somebody or I would just interact with somebody and the person would say, you should have me on your show because I'm humble. Like that right away is like, if someone oh, yes. with they are humble, <laughs> that's who you don't wanna have on a program. That's somebody, so you, you're, you are truly living an ethos of humility and authenticity. And thank you for just trusting me because we didn't know each other that well to be on the program. I'm really grateful. Well, I, I, honestly, that the fact that somebody recommended me for my humility is actually very humbling. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but look, I think, uh, thank you, because it's uh, it, it, it's difficult to promote something that you think mm -hmm. is valuable uh, without putting yourself as the product. And I don't believe I'm a very good product. Uh, some of the things I work with are, you know, and so I'm trying to 
walk that line because yeah, these days a lot of product not you right yeah i don't think you should you know revere me if you like what square built or what you know invisibly is building or anything like it yeah i mean you know maybe uh take that to your to you know to to a personal level and say i can build something great and i don't have to put my name on it you can mm -hmm. if you want but mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's very liberating to be, you know, sort of in the background. And I, I think I prefer being in the background. I would like, you know, that's the reason Jack was CEO of Square and I wasn't like, I mean, that conversation took all of 15 minutes because he wanted to be CEO and I absolutely didn't. Mm -hmm. Like, I just did not want to be front and center because uh, first of all, I'm not very good at it. And secondly, God, what a pressure cooker that is. Mm -hmm. Well, that's humble of you to know what you enjoy and maybe what you're not as good at. So yet again, another example yeah. uh, of, of who you are as a person. So thank you for being with us today. You've made me a better listener today because I wanted to hear every word and I'm sorry I interrupted you a couple times, but there was just so many topics I wanted to uh, delve into a little bit. So I really appreciate your time. Well, Adam, thank you so much. And congratulations to your daughter for graduating from engineering school. That's, I mean, the McKelvey school world needs more engineers. We're, the world needs named for my father, not for me, but oh, uh, the, okay. the, the, the world needs more engineers. The world hmm. needs more engineers. So cool. Well, thank you. And thank you to your boys for letting us use their room for today's <laughs> studio activity. <laughs> yeah, here we go. All right. Okay. Bye, Jim. Thank you. Bye from the bunk room. Thank you for listening to the Up To Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. To receive our newsletter, suggest speakers, and give your candid feedback, please email Adam directly at adam at uptofoundation.org. We would love to hear from you. The Up To Podcast is produced by the BL Media Group right outside of the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. See you next time.